You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Willy Vanderpeer is the Belgian-born and raised photographer and filmmaker that's best known for his impressive body of work, including campaigns for Prada, Dior, Jill Sander, and international magazines like ID and other W. His long-standing relationship with creative partners like Olivier Rizzo and Raf Simmons beautifully illustrate the magic found in collaboration. While we talk about his feelings on being the first generation to recognize that one isn't obligated to grow up, we also explore his preoccupation with youth and isolation, or the redemptive power of pop culture that's detectable not just in his film and book project Naked Heartland, but throughout the rest of his work as well. This is Willy van der Perre, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. Willy Vanderpeer, you're born and raised in Belgium, one of the countries I personally find the most fascinating given its production of such incredible talent despite being such a small nation. First and foremost, what was it like growing up there? When I grew up in Belgium, the borders were not open yet. So you very much felt the smallness of its country, like you just said. It also came with the fact that there was still, especially in the border town that I grew up in, there was still a lot of violence, drugs, thefts, and it was kind of a tricky place to grow up in knowing at a very young age I was gay. In that situation was rather a difficult place to be and express yourself. So that was a tricky one, but luckily there was art school, which kind of saved me and you found your peers, although there was only little of them, but you actually found them people who were more sensitive than the people that you met on the streets. So they became my friends and it was a small group of people, but that made me survive those times in the border time that I grew up with. I had a sibling, a sister, which was a little bit older than me, but I had a very you know, hardworking family. My father was a butcher, so it was a tough world in that sense as well, because you were constantly confronted with death. You were constantly seeing carcasses and bloody animals being dragged into the shop. So it was, I forget, it was a, a tough one, but also it rooted me into doing what you needed to do to escape. So it made me adventurous and it made me think about and dreaming about bigger things, if that is the right word, but just like to make sure that you would not get trapped in that world that you were born into. So that was at that point, maybe even aspirational being there. I found at a very young age the drive to get away and to escape, although times are so completely different. We didn't have internet where you would connect with people. It was all very different. You needed to get out of the house. You needed to connect with people in a very different way than now people connect. But it was a good time, even though it was a tough one. You look at it with a sense of nostalgia, of course, even though we hate that word. But yeah. And then Art school, when I was 15, like I said, was kind of the escape. And it was just so, it was very adventurous. And that really opened up my life, brought you in contact with people you were interested in. It also brought you into the world of magazines and record shops. And it was this whole different ball game all of a sudden. And that's really when you start to explore yourself. And I think that's why my obsession now when I grew older is youth. Because for me, it was such an important period all the impulses that you get and the things you want to explore. That was my teenage years in Belgium. You're touching on so many different things I want to expand upon, one of which is, of course, being at art school, being surrounded in other creative people who perhaps share 
whatever galvanizing forces or interests or backgrounds that you had that brought you to that same environment. But why is it, do you think that Belgium as such a small country manages to produce so many amazing creatives from designers, photographers, such as yourself, stylists, even models? It's incredible. You have to go sometimes back in history, but like way back in history, we were never a conquering country. We were always conquered by others. We were part of France. We were part of Holland. So it's like we've always been very introverted in that kind of sense. The voice was always very silent because we were never people who would strive or get on a boat. And we it was a whole different thing. Of course, we cannot forget Congo and I will never because that's a burden that every Belgian person has to live with. But this continuation comes, I think, from history at one point. Yeah, I think it is the not so loud voice, not being brought up with that history of, you know, we are conquerors and we, that big, that kind of like bigness of country. And here it is way more, we look into our own borders almost. I think it's a lot of us are very introspective in that kind of sense, which has always been used when we talk about Belgium and our creative outputs, like this dark romanticism and this minimalism and this introvert sensitivity, poetic. I think it all comes from that same thing. And I think it, whether it's fashion or stylist or arts, because Belgium is very big in arts in every sense of the word, there's always that kind of yeah, emotional moment to it that maybe is due to the fact that it's a small country, due to the fact that there's just like this history that is upon us. You actually studied fashion before you had decided to pursue photography specifically. What kind of ways do you feel like that background in your education actually informs the work in photography? Maybe I look differently at the garment. Maybe I have more of a sensibility with it, but I would not maybe say that it's a, a bonus or whatever. But I tend to look at the outfit and try to understand or what does a movement do when a model talent comes. I always ask them to just give a twirl almost like say like how does it look how do you move in it what does it do to you maybe that is my fashion background i try to understand the garments as well as the person wearing the garments and what it does to their body or whatever i think maybe that's the only thing that helps maybe that you understand fashion and today we're living in a very different time as far as the way industries work as it pertains to things like geography as long as I can remember, people always really gravitated towards these sort of hubs of industry and that's where they lived and that's where they worked and that's where they sort of fed off the sources of opportunity. And yet now people have woken up to the idea that you can live almost anywhere and a lot of them are and they go into these larger hubs for work. You yourself, from what I understand, have lived in Belgium the entirety of your career and I wanted to hear more about the initial reason as to why you chose that and some of the benefits you think that distance has given you even creatively? Its initial reason, I think, was to stay rooted almost to your normal life, if that is something that maybe one can say. But just that you almost like say like you don't forget where you come from. Because we live in an oversaturated world already, but not only to that, I think there's a glamorous side to our job as well. Let's be honest. There's a lot of it that is not glamorous, but there's a glamorous moment to that as well. And sometimes for me, it's nice that you go to work and you come back from work. And then in that work, you can be held and praised and you come back and it reduces everything back to normal again. Where I think sometimes the city, you keep feeding that almost in a kind of way that need to, maybe it's a need to be seen or a need to attend. And I think when you come back, you don't need to. And you feel you're at home and 
it kind of roots me again. I have a lot of friends also like who are very much away from what I do. And these are very important in my life because actually the conversation is completely different. Whereas sometimes you are with your peers, which is a smaller group, of course. And I think a big city might actually do that to me. Again, I'm not generalizing. You might be even more restricted in what your friends would be. It would maybe be only from the people that I work with. Whereas now I have both worlds. This is my safe getaway. It's almost like if I was to live in New York, it would be my East Hamptons or whichever. You know, it would be something that you can get away from when you feel like, okay, you've done it. And then you come back and it's kind of nice. Weirdly enough, I try to bring work more and more to Belgium because it's a beautiful little country and we have beautiful sceneries. And sometimes we forget about it because we want to escape. But now I try to bring it back again. I say like, oh, maybe we can explore Belgium a little bit more. But yeah, I understand completely that people now try to almost avoid a big city. Like I said, I think it's just the quieting down. I think also maybe it's a current thing. COVID did a lot to that, I think, as well, because being secluded and being alone and also like, you know, you didn't have your connections. You could not go anywhere. It was just like you were on your own or with your friends or with your family or with your partner or whatever. And it was just like you were on your own. And maybe that was just this moment that we think about time as well, that you go like, okay, you know what? Maybe we just like resource ourselves and that resourcing can be anywhere. It doesn't need to be in a bigger city. It's so true and very, very well said. I mean, everything that you said about Belgium, I think, makes a great deal of sense. And something you spoke about when we were discussing your childhood and the formative years and the idea of having to go outside versus being forever connected through the digital realms that we exist in today brings us to something like social media, which is typically ephemeral. And yet you chose to do not one book, but two, and take that sort of ephemeral type of content and make it into an analog product. I wanted to hear more about what the reason was. The two reasons why we did the book. The people from ID Books, David Owen and Angela Hill, they had been on my case for quite some time about doing a book. Let's do a book. And I never thought how to do a book. Was it new work? Was it old work? So it was like, how would I conceive a book? And it also felt because if it was not to be an art book, where you go like, you know, it's an art project, you had to look back and it had to be like almost like a retrospective of your work. So it was kind of like shied me a little bit away from that due to the fact that I had to think about retrospective at that time and that time in my life. So it came to me like, let's do something that is quick and instant. We came up with this idea of this book. We did it and I think it was over two weeks and it felt right because it felt like almost like Instagram. It felt like a post. And why we did it as a book is it felt like a timeline and time we tend to forget and we tend to swipe away and then we look at an image and we forget that image might actually be good or what it does to you or whatever. We swipe and now we swipe even quicker. We even don't look anymore. We, it has to move. That's for me the, the main reason was also that although we like to swipe and we like to click and we like to, it's also nice to have something that we hold in your hand and you actually take time to look at. The first book had to be very accessible. It had to be like something that you, that was not so precious as your first art book because a lot of people want to belong to a world of a person that they like and luckily there are people that are interested in what I like and like what I do so you don't want to put distance between maybe what is your audience and what could be your audience so in that sense I thought it was had to be very youth driven Mm -hmm. again it is my obsession and that's why the Instagram book just felt right because it was non-pretentious 
it was what you just posted and it was like a daily feel of a day of what you do right at that time you did a daily post on instagram and it just felt like the right thing to do it was sold at a very reasonable price it was accessible for everybody and yeah i think that was the second reason just to have something that just belongs well, it actually sounds very much in line in a different way with your film and the accompanying book of stills called Naked Heartland, which were said to highlight your own preoccupations with youth, isolation, and the redemptive power of pop culture. So can you speak to those things as well as any other elements of culture which you find yourself drawing inspiration from today? Youth, weirdly enough, they sum up all the words that you just said. You know, they sum up isolation, they sum up everything because it's the only time in your life, I think, that you actually feel that people don't understand you. Mm -hmm. And you are so right because people don't understand you because you are trying to develop yourself in whatever way it is that you want to evolve or you try to figure out yourself. So you can't actually explain to people what it is that you feel or what you are feeling, but the feeling is there and it can be hurting, can be very joyful, but the feeling is something that is very unexplainable. I think that's the main reason why we hate that period in our time but also the period that we look back to with the most beautiful sentiments because it is something that is just, to me still, is something that is quite magical, what happens in your brain and only happens for that very short time of space. So yeah, that's why youth and its cultures, whether it's music or whether it's movies or whether there's even forms of expression, is something that will always interest me. It's always found in youth and younger people. They are the setters for the future. There's so many reasons why we can be only obsessed and praise youth and young people for what they do to the world. I think they always have a distinctive new narrative. They always have a very outspoken vision of what should be. I think even now more than there were before, because again, we have this, we cannot call it you, but this form of, you know, sharing and due to the, the internet, like this connecting and it's every word now gets widespread in so many different such much more wider and bigger amplitude than it ever was. I love that they're very vocal about their stance and that's important. So yeah, I think it's a beautiful time. Something you said during a past conversation that I'll probably butcher with my memory, but it really intrigued me, which was the idea that you were a part of the sort of first generation that didn't necessarily have to grow up. Mm. I'd love to go back to that because that really stuck with me. I remember, but you know, this sounds like an old man speaking. But mm -hmm. we had grunge and grunge was, I think, such an important moment in music history, not only for the musicality of it, but it was also that distinctive period in time where fashion changed, imagery changed, everything changed. It was a blend of everything. I think that also brought with it that we didn't need to grow up and it was nice. You could stay like a teen forever if you wanted to. I think we are one of the first generations that actually decided like we are not becoming like adult or we're not going to grow up. It's a trajectory in life. Just like you are a kid, you get born, you become a teenager, then you become an adult. But then what does that mean even? What does that word mean? Nobody taught you. You get a lot of lessons in life, but nobody says you have to do that to become an adult. It was never job related. It was just like this state of mind that you have to go all of a sudden and say like, okay, now as of today, I am an adult. So I think in that sense, that feeds my obsession with youth. I never felt like I was getting away from it or felt, oh, I'm now turning older. Even now, as we speak, a couple of minutes ago, I was saying to you, like, oh, I sound like an old man. I am an old man. I'm over 50. 
But in my head, I will never be because it's like we didn't have to belong to that generation. You cannot like look at my parents. They were all of a sudden they dressed differently. When did that happen? And it's not because it was linked to their job because like I said, he was a butcher. But then they just gradually changed outfits and it was not because they were following fashion. So yeah, I think in that sense, those codes are completely decoded by our generation. And I think this generation, our old generation that came after us are freeing themselves more from what society ever has thought us. It thought us in the beginning that we thought was correct is now being rectified in a kind of way. I was just like saying, but maybe it is not. Of course, you always have backlash as well or a, a different reaction because now you have people who go back again and say, but we want to grow, that we want to just steal away from everything that feels so, again, interesting because it's nice to have the duality that also young people all of a sudden start to think about, but maybe adult is not. <laughs> so we don't know. But yeah, we will see in the, in the near future, I think. Don't you think that mindset is somewhat paramount in being a continually successful creative because you're in such proximity, not only to youth culture, but constant change, which obviously is going to program you in a very different way than someone who perhaps subscribes to the notion that they are now this particular age. Isn't there something quite youthful about creative as a process to live in in general? I think you can say young in whichever profession or route you take in your life. I think if we stay, and here I go, if we stay at least a little bit creative in your way of thinking, I think that's maybe what we all try for is that we keep interested. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe that's the only thing that is just that keeps you from going for a more, let's say, pre-designed way of growing old. What I think is youth and what I try to imagine youth is or try to present to other people what youth can be or what youth in my eyes is or what the world is maybe in my eyes. Again, I keep saying that the world we live in is gradually being reshaped and informed by the voice of a very young generation. The world that we live in the last couple of five years has taken such a big step in terms of acceptance and a new language has been formed. It's been such a long time since such uh, important things have happened. Of course, we do get the backlash and there's so much to still fight for. And that's why we, with the small voice that I have, we try to keep people aware by bringing out a silly cap that says Willy and the W becomes a Willy just because and corny as it is. Although we've come far, there's still so much to fight for. That is something I actually wanted to talk about, the small project, but a very interesting one, the Willy caps that you're talking about. And you partnered up with another important organization and have invested in the injustice around the queer community in, in that type of a way. Could you walk us through that project a little bit for those who don't know about it? I was gay in a very young village, right? Of course, you were not understood and all that. And you know, yes, I was bullied and yes, I was gay bashed and all that happened. And that's why I think those people who are there to listen to younger people with issues and give them guidance and help are very important. I'm talking specifically about the Trevor Project because mm -hmm. the Trevor Project is something that's very close to me. Everybody knows the Trevor story. They give their guidance and suicide prevention. When we do projects, the profits always go directly to the Trevor Project. With the situation that the world is now in, you know, like not allowing people to help people in the great state of Texas and other places in the world. You know, I mean, I'm not, normally I'm not so political, I must say, but there are things that we just have to be political about. 
Mm-hmm. And just have to have a voice and just say it out loud. Injustice is always there. But I think when it starts to hurt young people, and like I said, they are our new generation and they are the future, one has to be very cautious because they don't have the force to rebel yet. And weirdly enough, those kids now, they actually do. And that's the beauty of them. When other countries are facing the injustice, of course, not every country has the possibility to rebel or to act against. But especially, I think, when it hits young people, it is something that one should be very aware of. Absolutely. And it's one of the most beautiful and important and powerful ways that fashion can become a vehicle. You know, when you have a career in the space and how you can focus that or lend it to larger causes, such as the one that you're talking about. It is a little bit of a segue. Obviously, the collaboration with the Trevor Project is very different than the one that you have with your longtime collaborators, such as Olivier, Raph, or even Peter. But having spent so many years collaborating with them a lot as well as others. What sort of ways have those partnerships changed over the years through the time that you guys have all been in the industry together? Weirdly enough, they don't change. They only grow, right? They only grow and that's the beauty of it. At one point, they're very comfortable. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they are the most challenging relationships you have because you, or maybe it's me, I always feel like I need to prove myself way more to them than to others because they know my world. They know my work. They know what we have done previous together, you know, especially in our relationship with Olivier and Raph. That is maybe what links us so well together. We never like to repeat. I can go like, okay, we've done that. And sometimes you should, like, you know, you own that for that moment in time, you own it. But we like to go like, okay, we've done it. We don't need to go back and do it again. Let's try something else. But that trying something else if you have such a long-term relationship, it becomes different, more difficult and difficult each time you go into the studio or you go into a location or you go into a conversation about what your next plan is together. So that's the beauty of it. I think that's also something that is really exciting. If you can't commit 100% to something, don't do it and stay home. You, know, you always have to be at your best. That's the, the nice thing, I think, about a long-lasting relationship. Your work always has such a pristine and timeless sort of quality to it that feels forever fresh and contemporary. And having worked through different times within the business throughout the span of your career, what is it that you find uniquely exciting about working in the industry in this particular moment? I don't feel different in this particular moment than Mm -hmm. I did previous or that I did like, I can actually say 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Close to 30, but hey, doesn't matter. But no. It is, I don't think it it actually feels different. What is exciting is this energy. And I think it's always about energy. I don't think it actually changes. Of course, the energy is changing, but it's always that same. The feeding ground is always the same. It's a different emotion, the different energy that you feed off or that you give. But it's just, it's the same thing. We are living in this almost like a cascade of new informations and We thought that we were going to get stagnated with this information and this novelty and all that stuff, but I don't think it's the case. What I think is different now is that we are way more open. I think maybe that's the thing. What now is the new energy, which is nice, I think, is that there's a lot of photographers, there's a lot of stylists, and they all get their voice. Whereas when I was starting out, for me, it was even a struggle to find your voice because it was a very closed circuit. And I think now the industry has opened itself up to many different voices, and there are so many different voices. I think that's a very exciting period that we live in now due to the fact that you get all these visions on what fashion could be and interpretations of what fashion could be, whether it's styling, whether it's fashion design on itself, 
especially then I think in visual communication, and I'm only talking about editorial land, of course, because that is where the art is happening. There's so many people who get a voice. That's also not true because what is opening now as well is that also for advertising campaigns, young people are getting recognized for their voice. Whereas previous, I think, and I'm not being like grumpy or whatever, but it felt like, you know, it was like one directional. I think now it's all very open. There's a fluidity to it that is nice. You get talents that you have never heard of, or maybe here and there an editorial, and then all of a sudden they land a big campaign. There's a beauty to that. I embrace that full-heartedly, and I think that's also what keeps it alive. Like, it brings back an energy. Absolutely. I feel like you're stepping right into the answer to our final question, which is, of course, what is contemporary now? But first of all, I think it's our conversation, because it is contemporary that you are far away and we're talking and this conversation is happening. Of course, what is contemporary now is there's so many things, it's a difficult ones, because every word I feel that you're going to glue to that will feel corny or will feel used again. I'm just going to stick to this conversation. I love that. I mean, I'm here for that. It works yeah. for me. <laughs> yes, <it's good. laughs> I'm happy it works for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Willie. I'm really glad we managed to make it happen. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. A special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, who makes it all possible. Original theme music by Joseph Top Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft. And visual design by Aaron Marr and Graham Prentice. Subscribe now to be the first to hear new episodes. And for more content, follow us on Instagram at What's Contemporary or visit us online at whatscontemporary.com. 